morning, Saturday morning, and uh, great to have a special guest, as I often manage to produce every now and then. It's a great friend of mine, uh, Gary Webster. How are you, mate? I'm very well indeed, Steve. How are you? I'm really good, mate, considering it's been a while since we actually saw each other face to face. We keep in touch on a regular basis and uh, see what each other's up to in the acting world. And uh, often uh, we uh, we tweet or retweet each other's tweets about football. <laughs> You're a big Arsenal fan. And of course, I'm a Newcastle fan. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. So I think we had arranged to meet up a few times before pre-lockdown, but obviously that was all thrown up into the air but yeah we've kept in contact on twitter and text and stuff so uh, it's good to see you uh, in the in the flesh as it were even though it's only on this zoom or whatever he's like to call it these days my kids will they educate oh. me now device. Good thing, the good thing is you've managed to switch it on and get it sorted mate. Which, which, which <laughs> well, is, which my is, wife has just left but it's all down to her <laughs> well anyway i mean how have you been caught first of all let's talk a little bit about acting because obviously we're both actors True. um you know yeah. and, and, and you know, lockdown is, is difficult for everybody but um people in our industry sadly just haven't had you know the opportunity to, to to go out and make films tv you know or, or go on stage it's it's, it's been horrendous no. so, i mean i presume it's just affected you the same as it's affected everybody else yeah definitely i think um because i was actually touring a play we just kicked off with a play called the cat and the canary an old it was um, a stage version of an old film starring bob hope i don't know it's one of those ones but maybe kids of a certain era might have seen on, you know, in black and white on TV. So we just started the tour. It was meant to be a six month tour. Had Britt Eklund in it, Mark Jordan, you know, lots of uh, fun people. So we'd done about three weeks of that, three or four weeks of it. And uh, we was on our way up to Sunderland, if I may mention the, the term Sunderland. And, you can, uh, you can. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> the Northeast, let's say the Northeast. And um, yeah, we've got the phone call. We're, we're, we're shutting down and that was on march that was on a monday we was all traveling up and we all turned around at york all came back down and uh that was it and so the play's been on suspension since then which yeah it's had a massive impact i think for a lot of people i mean i think television and film is slowly getting back to you know that the productions are beginning to happen because i think it's they can control the um in distance stuff much easier than in the theatre because, and obviously the demographic that might come and see uh, a touring play is maybe a vulnerable, you know, demographic of a certain age group. So I think we have to be right. I mean, you know, health is everything and lives are, you know, the most important thing of all. So, but I think uh, things are beginning to sort of be more relaxed now. So hopefully we'll be back on tour in January. So it's basically a year lost for for a lot of people i think you know and it's a big struggle as it is for everybody out there you know i mean do you feel the government's helped in any way i mean I, i've got to be honest i mean self-employed as long as you pay your taxes i've i've, I've yeah. basically found obviously the money that's come in from the government very helpful i mean i appreciate yeah. millions of people who are in the same position i mean luckily because i declare the right amounts that i make i've i've, I've gained the you know the, the right money in but have you found that helpful is it has it helped you a little bit or is it is it still a long way short of what you probably would have needed uh, well, I think, you know, because you budget for your year and you budget for what was coming in. And I think, I mean, I've, I've had a bit of a checkered past regarding uh, finances and things. And I think this, again, only highlights that, you know, um, if you've got a bad credit rating or things like that, then the government is no help to you at all. Because even bounce back loans or just a general overdraft, 
you know, even though we're in lockdown and people need it, you know, and you might have the, the, the correct kind of evidence to say, I'm going back to work, I have a job waiting, etc. Um, they're still very reluctant to lend or do any of that for, for people who have got, you know, a credit rating that isn't excellent. So I think, and I think the understanding, I think I, I fully understand that, um, uh, you know, this was unprecedented, as they say, but I think the government was slow to react. And I think the arts certainly come a long way down the list of what they have to prioritise, which I understand, you know, uh, but I still think that, you know, it brings in a, a few billion quid a year every year. And I think it was probably the last thing on their agenda that they were, were thinking about, oh, what we're going to do with the theatres. Um, so like any like anybody, I think they could have done more. But um, I, I will also understand that it's, uh, you know, these are extraordinary times. So but if the we should be better prepared if the second wave comes. Yeah, I agree, mate. I agree. Well, listen, it's great to see that you're, you're doing well and, yeah. and um, you're alive I'm and you're fitting, well. you're fitting well. That's the most important thing in, in these times. Um, let's, talk, let's talk a bit, a bit about the acting. How, how, did you, yeah. how did you first take the steps? Were you a child actor? Did you get into acting that way or did you, um, you know, did you come into it later in life like I did? Yeah, no, I came into it later in life, um, sort of in, in regards to I was I was 16, which is, is young. But up until that point, I'd very much been a sports mad, you know, football, rugby, badminton to a certain level at my school in London or just outside in Essex. And and there, there was a my I was messing about so much in French. Uh, you know, I'd, my, my French grades had gone down and down and down. It was a local comprehensive that a French teacher pulled me aside once and she said, you've got a lot of energy, but it, it's going in the wrong direction. So she said, why don't you try the school play? And up until that point, I'd never really thought about it. So I went along and they said, listen, someone's just dropped out. Do you want to do it? And it was the life story, if you could get this, a musical life story of Al Capone. If you could, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And I don't know what our school was doing. I think that says a lot about my school, that they were going to will it to put. Most people do Oliver or Godspell or Joseph, and we did Big Al, the life Brilliant. story of Al Capone, the, the man of the people. Um, so I, I did, yeah. so it says a lot about the school I went to. Um, so I did it, and from then on, Steve, I was bitten by the bug. I remember the first night. I remember the, the, the feeling. I thought, this is what I want to do. I'd found you know, what uh, my purpose in life. So then I kind of auditioned for the National Youth Theatre. Fortunately got in, I did four summers there. Auditioned for Lambda, drum school, amongst the many sort of Rada Lambda, got into Lambda. And it kind of just snowballed by there. I mean, I was very lucky in that respect. Uh, I, I think I had a lot of passion. I mean, when I went to drama school, uh, the, the, uh, my county council wouldn't give me a grant. And I, back then I wrote to Margaret Thatcher, to the Ombudsman, to the, the Department of Education Secretary. I went on marches to get discretionary grants changed to mandatory or compulsory for drama students, you know, which, which did happen for a little while. So I, I think um, that, but I didn't realise that even when you come out of drama school and it's like everything, then you're in the big wide world. And really you're only as good then as your next job. Because after that first job, no one asked what drama school you went to necessarily or what plays you'd done. They want to know what was that last job, you know. And so um, I had a mate, uh, Phil Middlemas, who's from Hartlepool. In actual fact, me and Phil were thick as Des thieves Bond. for a long time. Des yes, Bond, Des, Des Bond. Absolutely. So we was thick as thieves in back in those days. And we, and we 
we thought, right, what, what we had to do on our CV, you know, we've come out of drama school, we might have done our first play professionally. But of course, if you go out for a television, um, they go, what television have you done? And we had nothing on our CV. And if that goes on for a year or two, the fact that you haven't got that means, and then they start to think, okay, you're new out of drama school, that can explain it. But a year down the line, is there something wrong? Is this guy, does he not have the right face for television? What are we missing here? So immediately me and Phil, Whacked on our CV. I think we just both done. I'd done a play in Manchester. He'd done a place uh, somewhere on tour. So immediately we put in Frank in the professionals and Steve in the bill. And we hadn't done these shows, but we just worked out the, the amount of episodes no one was going to question. And if they said, well, what was Steve in the bill? I would have said, remember there was a group of lads? And um, that was the mouthy one. So we just take the casting directors. We go, yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but at least uh, then, they, then no one questioned your ability to do television. Yeah, that's and from good. that, yeah. So that's that's a bit of advice I give to any young budding actor: lie, lie, lie immediately on your CV. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was it? What was your so first? Then, TV, what was your first TV part? Then what was the first one that you can remember? The first TV part I did was the very first episode, the very first scene of the very first Inspector Morse. Wow. Wow, so, wow, wow. Yeah, so immediately I was working opposite uh, John Thorpe. Uh, I was a, a, a dodgy car, a car paint sprayer, and he'd come to nick us, and I actually got handcuffed to the, the Jag, the wonderful, the iconic Jaguar in Inspector Morse, and he drove off with me attached to it, screaming, oh, let me out, let me out, let me go. And someone came and hit us. So it was a big stunt and all of that. And uh, I, I remember uh, coming from uh, the sort of a stage training, you know, everything is loud and you're hitting the back wall. And television obviously is a lot quieter. You know, you don't have to project as much. It has to be much more realistic. And I remember when I rehearsing with John Thorpe, I couldn't hear a word he said. Because I'd be like, um, yeah, fantastic. Um, and I'd be saying, uh, what are you doing here, mate? And he'd go, I'm just doing some reflection. And I couldn't hear because he was radio mic'd up. So I basically just sort of went on the fact that I gauged when he had stopped speaking. And, and <laughs> I thought, must be my line back then. So you had this young, over-the-top young actor and he was like the consummate professional talking like that, very quiet and nice and easy and cool and calm you know but it was an education to me straight away you know and he was delightful you know it, i was it was a new series for everyone so i'm very proud of that i'm very proud that i was there at the beginning of such an iconic show that led on to you know uh lewis uh and uh, and, and such like so that was my first tv were you nervous on that first day? Because I mean, I know when I did television for the first time, it was it was you know it was a bit of a it was a bit mind blowing really to be walking. It was an excitement, but also a bit of nerves. Oh yeah, I mean it's yeah it's extremely nerve wracking. I mean, and I think uh, and it still is. You know, you go down on set, you got crew there, you're kind of doing and it's a mini piece of theatre. And I think half the battle with television and film is is keeping those nerves at bay looking like it's the most natural thing in the world you know keeping keeping your cool i mean i've worked with some actors that uh, during rehearsals uh you know just off camera have been sensational and as soon as somebody says action the sweat starts to come the nerves the the, the, the forgetting the lines you know and it's and it's tough to watch because i think we could all be there any time in our lives you know you have a bad day and all that but i think 
it's it's a conac basically uh, acting on television film it's just basically keeping you cool keeping looking like it's natural the most natural thing in the world and whilst everything inside of you is churning about you know yeah now graham clark he grew up in walford went to school with nick cotton rod norman and darren roberts after getting involved in criminal activity <laughs> with nick graham served time in prison but it later transpires that nick had committed the crime that he was in prison for graham never forgave nick for allowing him to go to prison for his crime graham was very protective of his younger brother barry graham clark and eastenders what a claim to fame mate i mean there's a londoner it must it must be the one you want to get into as a as a, as a northerner coronation street's my favorite of course. um yeah but yeah i mean what was it what was it like to to to, to step foot on walford and uh, play a part in it well i mean this was like in 87 so it was um one might look back and say the iconic time the establishment of eastenders as the the southern powerhouse that it is you know compared to uh coronation street which is the first the the the, the one the only you know soap opera and here was this young pretender to the throne from the south that had been created and so i went in there quite early doors so these are in the days of dan and Ange and the queen vic had just been and so yeah it was it was um you you was on a, a kind of way wixy was there and things so it was it was daunting but at the same time there was a great kind of um excitement about the whole show you know that it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time uh, and so there was like a freedom to 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 experiment to do what you wanted to and, and there was a lot of young people up there at the time Letitia dean who's still in it now you know and i mean there was um so they had a lot of named characters like wixy like dan like Ange, and then there was a there was a, a kind of group of us like you say rod uh, and gary mcdonald's character and myself and we were all the brother or the sister or the boyfriend or the girlfriend of people so i was barry's brother uh, gary was a carmel's brother rod uh, um chris chris adam who played him he was mary's boyfriend so we kind of we kind of stuck together we were the kind of jason watkins was in it as well and then of course from that we formed the um the Wolford boys club which was the football team so yeah. it was a great time to be around there because then we'd go off and go <laughs> i was telling my son about that hair the other day <laughs> I, I, I went away to i'd done a few episodes and then i come yeah. back and i had about 10 more to do and i'd gone to greece on a two-week holiday and i'd put a load of sun in i don't know if you remember there was a product called sun in yeah. Dye, bleach, yeah. yeah you're right so you're somebody who knows a lot about it of course <laughs> yeah. so yeah there's no need for it now both of us who go and fill it now but um and so after this two-week holiday i came back and they were like look at your hair is that blood is that how it i said that's how it goes in the sun that's it they went that's that's natural i said yeah completely no no diet nothing until about three months after which was the very end of my episodes there's like a, a big badger line of dark hair coming through those like that, you fucking liar. Yeah, fucking liar. Get out of here. Time for your contract to finish. That's not natural. Um, yeah, so it was a great fun. And we had great fun with the the, uh, the football team as a charity con going con ongoing concern. But yeah, and I got to take on Dirty Den, which yeah. was a, you know, I called him out in one episode, which was great. Um, uh, working with Leslie Grantham and um, yeah it was it was a good time it was a very exciting time up there you know I mean it's it's massive now it's just a, a monster of a great soap but there it was just kind of um, 
it was innocent, you know, and, and and everyone, it was it was great fun. It was a fantastic time to be around up there. Yeah, I mean, was it one of those things you you, you always think maybe I could go back to? I think you, you mentioned, you know, the you know you, you left. I think in '88. Um, I think according yeah. to the EastEnders website, fandom, uh, you were last seen supporting Colin over his recent breakup with Barry. But um, you know, was yeah. it your decision to leave, or did the scriptwriters just decide, right, we're going to move on? And is it something you'd love to go back to? Do you think? No, yeah, I mean, there was, I mean, I, yeah, I had a lovely scene with Michael Cashman. I think it's Lord Cashman now, is it? Um, uh, Michael yeah. was fantastic, yeah. Um, and we've retained, we've remained friends and caught up again on Twitter. Um, and I just think that the character kind of run its course, you know, I, I was never, it was never there to be as a regular because at the point at that time, anybody who lived out the square, just that was it. You know, you came in, you went out, nobody bought houses in the square, the square was set. And I did return in, I think it was 2016, playing Neville Peacock, who was one of the Slater sisters' boyfriend, uh, husbands. Now that's a character I think could well return because he was like, uh, he, he was a, he's a bit dodgy, a bit of a swinger. He liked to uh, he liked to put a lot of things in the mix, and I think there were some very nice comedic scenes that I had with Danny Dyer in a jacuzzi. And where I was making the suggestion that we should all put our keys in the in the in the bowl and have a good time together with our respective <laughs> work. And um and and it was a nice relationship. In the end, it ended up in those I had four episodes that, that um Danny Dyer's character Mick, Mick knocked me out for being uh, for getting a little bit aggressive with uh, uh my wife. But I think that that character I, I I think had some legs, and a lot of people have said to me, why why isn't that one come back? Because he kind of, you know, he's kind of, he would fit into the square quite easily. And just he, there was an underlying danger to him, you know, uh, whether you thought he was a bit, uh, you know, greasy or he had a, he was always dodgy dealing, you know, which was, I think, um, is, is a nice kind of um, a character to, to draw upon and, and, and get in amongst it. So who knows? Neville Peacock might return, but I don't think Graham Clark will now. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, it's just it's a major achievement, I think, as an actor to get into something like that. It's um, you know, and, and and just to have those memories and and working alongside, you know, some some of the great actors who've now really become established names because of the success of the soap opera. It's just a yeah. it's a great thing that it's a great thing to have on, on on your CV. And I suppose, um, you know, we've got to talk about you know a couple of the other shows that we're in. And and most people of a of a certain age will will remember the uh, the fantastic program uh, which was Mind Out, which course had done fantastically well on uh, on itv and um you know you had the the late great george yeah. cole and uh, dennis waterman obviously playing sure. the part together but then you were asked to uh obviously dennis left the show and and, and you had to come yeah. in and, and 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 take over essentially from dennis's role the sidekick role and you uh, you played ray daily um yes which a lot of people a lot of people will remember you as and what was it like i mean just take us through the process first of all going for an audition for something like that what was what was it like you know to to, to go up for that role well to be to be honest i think there, there was um everyone had assumed that dennis was going to come back for the eighth series you know and and there was a lot of things happening in the background that um that we obviously the public didn't know about and then my agent got a call and said they're they're looking for this new character so I, and at the time when I first went in, and it was just for a chat with the producer and the casting director, I assumed that this character was going to play, uh, wouldn't be that um, uh, kind of 
important within this in the series and he would be just alongside dennis waterman and or you know terry mccann and arthur and everything but as uh, but on the first meeting it was explained that um terry mccann was leaving and that um it would be uh, a new character who would be taking over which of course then it kind of ups the ante so immediately i knew oh this was a lot more of a larger role more career defining role possibly if i got it and then to be honest steve the first uh, the first interview went well and i had about four others after that went back uh saw the director saw one of the directors what saw a costume designer and then i had a screen test we actually had screen tests with george and i remember i was given two scenes to do and the first one uh i just wasn't it wasn't hitting you know i wasn't i knew that they were probably looking for the right relationship and and how we would gel together and work together and i always equate it to having a a handful of sand and i literally i went off to the toilet to, to compose myself after the first scene which hadn't gone fantastically well and i could see this sand just slipping through my grasp you know it was just i couldn't keep hold of it so i basically thought all right i'm gonna go out there and uh f it i'll i'll do what i can do you know I'm, the pressure's off i haven't got this and we just gelled and it kind of just it took the reins off me and we had a bit of banter and a bit of off-screen banter and on-screen and i did a bit of improvisation and i made him laugh or something you know i remember and and we got on like a house on fire and so the two scenes were chalk and cheese so i what all i was happy about that was that i could walk away and i knew then it was close you know this was a major role but i could walk away thinking well i'd give them given everything then i'd given about as good as i could get the first scene wasn't great the second scene was a lot better i can't do any more uh and then they rung and said yeah you've got it and then kind of the the kind of it, back in those days because you know there wasn't so many it wasn't multi-channel and all that and this part by this time had had gathered pace about who was going to replace the you know the iconic would it work this is one of the the most loved shows along with fools and horses of that type so um all hell broke loose and when and then the press got word of it they were down at my parents house still outside the house um i always say that on that day when sort of news broke before they officially launched it you know that um that my parents my my dad ended up buying an answering machine and my mum had a migraine and that's what they got out there because they were beset and then i kept saying to them like say nothing i've been told to say nothing we can't say nothing and then i got a phone call from my mum saying well they're asking a lot of questions and we, we don't know what to say i said well just close the door on them she went but they're in the house i said what do you mean they're in the house she went, well there was about eight of them outside and so we asked them if they wanted a cup of tea and i said we did it so look i've got news reports from the sun the mirror the mail all in my house having a cup of tea with my mum and dad and then even in fact they didn't even know where i lived but they knew that it was a webster and it was from wessex or whatever so oh it was a nightmare but um and then the itv look you know sort of broke the news and then it was um it was a fantastic fun for four years you know fantastic yeah fant i mean what was it like working with george because you know he was he was such a big household name established name done done a lot of you know great movies over the years but uh to actually team up with him and, and play you know alongside him in, in one of the most successful itv shows of all time must have been fantastic but what was george like personally 
Oh yeah, he, he was a he was a, a, an excellent guy. I mean, here I am coming in after ten years, you know. So he was very welcoming, very open. Um, he uh, he was never one to sort of tell you how to do it, you know. He was never one to say, oh, "I wouldn't play it like that. I wouldn't play it like that." He was very much listen. Um, I mean, I, I think it was kind of of the the kind of Paisley managerial skills, you know, Bob Paisley of um, you're here that you're here because you're good enough to do the job. Now just do the job. You know, he did tell me, so he never kind of said, oh, I wouldn't play it that way, you know, he, but he would sort of say to me things like, um, you know, if you're on the phone uh, to someone, don't necessarily do the phone call and then look at the phone before you put it down. You know, don't personalize someone. So just do that and go, yeah, okay, bye, put it down. Little, little tips, you know, uh, preservation of energy. You know, when you're filming, as you well know, Steve, they're 12-hour days and they're long days. And you could do a scene at the beginning that you have to pick up at the end. So keep your energy tight, you know, keep your powder dry. Don't go out there and waste a lot of energy on chatting and doing all that because you've got to maintain the same level of energy you had at that end scene as you have at the first scene. Um, if a scene doesn't go well, don't take that into the next scene. He said, sometimes you'll do you know, little tips like sometimes you'll do a scene that you won't be particularly happy about, but it will work for sound, camera, costume, everything else. You know, no airplanes coming over and they'll go move on and you'll go, it wasn't good for me. He said, sometimes it happens and you haven't said anything and they move on. Don't take your depression that you wasn't happy into the next scene because the next scene might be, 20 minutes further down the line of the film and you've got to be happy. So let it go, let it go, let it go, you know. So, um, and, and things like that. Uh, and we had two, when we first started, we had, I had a little sort of caravan and he had a huge, great Winnie Baker, which I <laughs> used to look on in awe. And because I was the new kid, I'm just off the kind of, you know, youth opportunity scheme payments, you know. I was in this little one sort of, you know, three pitch thing and he was in this two thing. And the greatest compliment I could have been given by him was after a week, and we've been working on an episode, the first sort of bit of an episode for a week, he said uh, to the producers, Look, it's pointless Gary being in his own car. Why didn't he come in and share mine and we can go through lines and all of that? And I think why they'd established that in the beginning was what happens if he hates me? You know, he wanted to retain his independence. And after a week, it was a real, I was really proud to think, actually he thinks he can get on with me for nine months of the year, you know. So I packed me bags and came out the free position and went and stayed with him for nine months of the year. That's <laughs> huge, yeah, I was, I was chuffed, you know, because, and, and, you know, I, I total respect and we, I used to chat to him about everything. So when he worked on Cleopatra um, with Burton and Taylor and Rex Harrison, I'd ask him, what was that like? What was Burton like? Well, and he was great, you know, we just chat. Because I'm, I'm into all the old stars. I want to know about the reputations and all that. And, uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a lovely four years together. And I'm, I'm a, you know, exceptionally lucky and, and grateful that I did. You know, for me, it was probably like doing three or four years at the National Theatre, you know, mm -hmm. just watching how it worked and yeah. how he could just turn it on. I mean, there was one scene where he had to... Uh, sing to a pub full of people. And it wasn't Arthur Davies kind of modus operandum to sing to anyone, but he had to sing. He was drunk and he had to sing in the Winchester. And I thought, God, that's going to take some bottle. You know, he must be not. And he just nailed it. 
and we all cheered at the end and we were cheering as Ray and punters of the Winchester and Dave but we was also cheering as Gary and Glenn and all that to go that's a fantastic piece of work you know brilliant brilliant work. well I've got to say Gary and I watched those before we got to know each other I think we met probably about 25 years ago now but um yeah. you know I still I can still what the testament of those TV programs with you um and, and George on and they're still as relevant today they still make you laugh uh they're still as exciting yeah. to watch and um you know you, you you're a great actor mate and honestly well done on those because um I'm, and I'm sure I'm sure anybody agrees watching there uh, let's talk a little bit because I, I've noticed obviously already a big issue interview in um the back sure. end of last year before we came into yeah. COVID um and I know you know God, probably way back in you know the mid 2000s 2007 2008 I think you had a book yeah. out debt rescue yes. how to get through a year of financial ruin and survive I think it's yeah. still available on Amazon if people want to search it up yes, I think I'd like to talk about it because it's probably going to be quite relevant for people watching the show now with COVID because people have been furloughed it's coming to an end um you know sure. people, are, people are out of work um you know you've you've been through this yourself through through problems with debt you know what what advice would you give to anybody who finds himself in that position over the next few months with this with the current situation well, I think that the, the, the best piece of advice I can give is, which, which is what we kind of live by, is to talk about it, to to, to engage with family, friends, um, different authorities, the Citizens Advice Bureau, any sense of help groups or, uh, or help um, organisations out there to, to talk about. Because the more you talk about it, one, you realize that there are other people in the same situation. And two, it minimalize, it begins to minimalize, which is difficult, the importance in your own self of how important this is. It is greatly important, but it is, it, it's not, as I tried to say in my book, I, I, I wrote the book because I went bankrupt in 2005 and I watched a documentary about male suicide, men who, died, who killed themselves. And out of the six cases on ITV, it was, a, it was an excellent documentary. Three have been through to debt, and when the the father, the son, you know, the grandfather had committed suicide, the family had no idea, no idea of the debt that he was in, the family was in, the possible loss of the house, and everyone, every child, every wife, every friend, every family member said, we didn't care, we wouldn't, we'd give up everything to have him back. You know, if only he had spoken to us, we would have told him we would live in a caravan as long as we were all together. And this idea, this kind of stigma that attaches itself to to debt and housing and everything else, which I fully understand. But if you can talk it out and there are help groups out there and, and just so everyone is aware of the situation, it's not being less of a man by not being able to support because we somebody once said the other day and i think this has been highlighted through covid and certainly through the situation that we went through in 2017 we're all one or two paychecks away from being on the street almost you know mm -hmm. it's that finite and i said as i said before with credit scores and all that the, the possibility of borrowing just to get you through yourself through a, a sticky patch is more and more difficult if you've got a previous history so there's a lot of people and the mental health issues are, are phenomenal the impact on family i mean we spent a, a, some time shifting from travel lodge to bed and breakfast because we had to get out of the house we were in we had to uh, we didn't have enough money to put down on a, as a deposit so we had no fixed abode we were officially kind of homeless and 
And what people don't understand is, you know, they think, well, you must have savings, you must have something. No, when you have nothing, it is you're struggling every day to find the money to keep a roof over your head. Now, we've, we've managed to pull ourselves out of that through um, some help from friends, et cetera. But we were there at the ground, at the ground, at the, you know, at the coal face. And I'm going to tell you, the, we are still suffering a bit of post-traumatic stress syndrome. You know, it's, there's certain things that will just trigger us into being emotional or to being upset because when you're in it, you're just fighting for survival every day. So the impact is something that I think we all have to revise, government money, et cetera, et cetera, because, and COVID will have a similar effect. The lockdown itself, you know, people are this kind of lack of a, a regular schedule. So I think hopefully, out of the tragedy of COVID, because people have died, you know, that we will all be a bit more aware. And I know you are already, Steve, and I know that's why we've, you know, we've always gone where aware. There's an empathy about those out there who are struggling, who are not maybe as, has the, there's the, there's the equipment, the tools to deal with adversity as well as maybe I do or some others, that they need our help. We have all got to take a look at ourselves and think, right, do I care about that person? What is that guy on the, who's asking for money on the street? What is his story? I agree. A lot of the consensus is, oh, well, it'll be for drugs, it'll be for drink. But you know what? There's quite a lot that aren't. It is just to get the money to eat something. And I think hopefully this situation, which we've been aware of and tried to highlight, and that's why, listen, I'll, I'll never stop putting my head above the parapet on this because what's the point if i've been through that and then i can't talk about it or say listen i've i've i understand where you're coming from because i've experienced that as well and if i can give you any help or support i will then this then my experience hasn't been worthwhile i've got it has if you can go through good times and bad you've got to take something from it and be able to help others in the same way in the same way as i advise an actor who you know is successful how maybe to prepare better and put some money aside and have a little bit in case times are tough, you know. But um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to be a spokesperson for those out there who are a little less fortunate and suffering, you know. No, yeah. fair play to you, mate. That's why I, yeah, that's why I wanted to highlight it. But, I mean, Gary's on no, Twitter. Please. You know, give, give him a follow. And um, anyone, you know, does go through those kind of issues, Gary's always quite happy to, to at least give some advice. But, but thanks, for, thanks for that. I think it's really important that we highlight that. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, Gary, you've appeared in, in, in lots of things. Hollyoaks, Crossroads, Family Affairs, you know, the, the, the list is endless. I think the other one I wanted to speak about before we uh, talk a little bit about football was the bill. Um, of course, yes. something which we all used to watch. It was it was never classified as a soap in the early days. It was um, it was a drama series. It was an hour long episodes. Then it became very much like a soap, half an hour episodes. But you again yes. managed to get a part in that. What was it like to be in again another one of those big ITV shows? Yeah, well, it was great. I mean, as I say, I had already put it down on my CV, <laughs> having never appeared in it. So, and over the years, I've appeared in it about three times, uh, like one-off episodes. And then in about 2008, nine, I think it was, or maybe even later, um, I got a lovely role, which was the uh, role of Paul Haskew. And I think they're repeating it on Drama Channel again now, um, is the um, as, as an international drugs dealer. Yeah. So, um, and that would lasted over a, a period of a year. So it was a set up from the, 
from the from Sun Hill to try and bring this guy, my character, down to kind of convict him. And it gave you an actual opportunity to get your teeth into, you know, a well-defined character. Sometimes, you know, when the bill was half an hour, an hour, it's all pretty quick and it's all resolved in that time. But having it to work over a year. So it was a really interesting role. And it ended up with a, a big shootout in, 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 in um, Brentford, docks, firearms specialists and all that. So it was a real kind of... It felt like you was doing like an American show, you know. Uh, so there was a, a great deal of excitement, and it was great. I mean, it's just such a, it was a whirl of oiled machine up there. So, and it was a wonderful to you know have as I say something to put get my teeth into and to be part of the Bills' history in that respect, rather than maybe just doing the odd episode, which was at the time. God, if you got an episode of the Bill, you were you was in cloud on cloud nine. You know, it was great, great thing to be involved with. Great thing. No, oh, fantastic stuff. Great memories. And uh, just a, a little bit, was it Britt Eklund? Was that who you were going to be working with in the play? Um, yeah, yeah, we are. We are. She, yeah, we kicked off and we was working with Britt. Uh, uh, and so we was on tour and I think that's going to come back in January. So look out for it. What's Britt like? Great to work fantastic. with. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Great, great fun to work with. Uh, great stories, you know, um, and I say to my kids, you know, maybe not so aware of uh, Britt Eklund as our generation is and older, you know, that married to Peter Sellers, actress in her own right, Rod Stewart and her were the, the posh and becks of their time, you know. I mean, it was a huge love affair and stuff and, uh, and, and an iconic name, you know, a film star, James Bond. You know, was she Holly Goodnight um, in uh, The Man with the Golden Gun? So, um, again, Steve, as always, I'll, I never lose the, 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 the excitement, the kind of the, the nervousness of meeting iconic, what I've grown, people I've grown up with. I, the minute I get to lose the buzz of that, I'll give up the game. And I never have any qualms about telling them, wow, I'm, I'm a bit over, awestruck here, you know, because why not? You know, this is what it's all about. And to have the opportunity to work with some of these people that you look up to, you know. Um, I used to be a great mate when I was in, when I was, when I was in my, my, um, my what would I call them? My foggy years in the early 90s. <laughs> I was a great mate of Steve Strange's, you know. And, I, and I'm in Steve's autobiography. And to... To look back on that from knowing him of his work in Visage and the club scene, and now I look back and I tell my kids, you know, I'm just so proud that I even knew the guy. And to, to, to say that we were friends is, you know, because he was just such a, a character, you know. So I, I'm always, I always touch myself. No, no, I don't touch myself. That sounded wrong, <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> I'm always touching myself. In fact, it's, about, it's almost 12. The nurse is usually coming in now to touch me. Uh, <laughs> God, don't go. Okay, uh, I touched my, with the Blarney Stone and thank my yeah. lucky stars. That's it. Whilst touching my, I've got it, but I thank my lucky stars if I can touch myself now. Let <laughs> get an uh, It's a classic. <laughs> We're we'll, moving swiftly on. We'll go. We'll go to football now for the last twenty minutes. Uh, Gary asks, "Are you an Arsenal fan?" Yes, you are. Um, yes. Uh, we've got. We've got to really talk a little bit about that. You must be delighted. We've uh, seen Piers Morgan on uh, Good Morning Britain this week, giving it large about uh, a Yang signing a contract. So, talk a little bit about a Yang and um, talk a little bit about Mikel Arteta. Tom Dixon was asking, uh, "What's your thoughts on Mikel Arteta?" Uh, you know, you must be happy at the moment. Oh, um, uh, I've got to say, Steve, can I move this into another room? 
Go for it, yeah. Possible? Go for it. Yeah, yeah, go oh, for it. So you are live. You are live. So Yeah, that's don't okay. Have, don't have any appearances to... uh, washing or ironing <laughs> on you. You'll, she'll never forgive you. No, the nurse is not coming until 12. <laughs> Hold on. Okay, I'm on. that's good. Hold on. I'm now on charge again. Good. I was just losing it. Okay. Um, no, definitely. I think that um, I've, I've been disappointed with Arsenal. I've been disappointed with the board. Yeah, because I feel that our, for a club of, of Arsenal's stature and standing, I think they've got away with underinvestment for too many years. And certainly what I could never understand with was the appointment of Emery. Because when Wenger said he was leaving, you know, he, he gave a six months notice. And here you've got one of the best jobs in the world, you know, top six or seventh richest club in the world, money, uh, a kind of uh, the legacy that Wenger was losing, was uh, leaving was fantastic. There was a foundation there. So you'd have thought they would have been touting every top manager and the top five managers for those months. And what happened was Emery got sacked by PSG and suddenly was Arsenal's manager. Now, I'm damn sure that nobody went out there touting Emery and thought, oh, we can get him, you know, let's wait till he's available. There would have been, a, and I just thought that was very last minute, and more than that, it was cheap. And, yeah. and I think we've suffered for the last two years on a board that has regularly been used to excellent profits, you know, their, their, their share options going up and up and up. And, we've, and over the last two years, we've suffered from that. And I think last season was a complete wake-up call because finishing eighth, although we got the won the FA Cup, great, but finishing eighth in the Premier League simply wasn't good enough. And fortunately, Arteta, I think, was a great, you know, I, I'm happy that he's he's there because I think he knows the club. He's obviously been under, you know, the tutelage of uh, Guardiola um, and the board's backing him. I mean, if they'd backed Wenger to a certain degree, I'm pretty sure Wenger might still be there, although it's you know it's a long time. But I feel now we're going in the right direction and they're buying the right players because they're actually buying some people as opposed to getting them on loan or putting a down payment for Pepe of 15 million. We pay him over five years, you know, um, and, and we were falling behind. So where we are at the moment, I don't expect it to happen overnight, but I'm a, certainly with Aubameyang, for me, he's the best signing that they're ever going to make in the next four or five years because for 60 million over three years they're paying, they'd have paid that and more just to buy him, you know. So at the moment, I'm I'm relatively happy with where the direction we're going in. Yeah, as a football fan, we're never always happy, are we? That's the thing. Tom's asking, do you no. miss Arsene Wenger? Do you miss Arsene Wenger? Um, I think it's something with Arsene, it's something it's akin to. You know, um, somebody who you, you kind of, you've had enough of, but you don't realise how much you're going to miss them until they're gone. And yeah. I feel now that, you know, the legacy he did, how he achieved what he did really on the funds that he was given to maintain a top four status for so long when everyone was buying big is, is remarkable. And also, I mean, I say this to my 17-year-old youngest son, you know, the era of Ferguson and Wenger at each other's throats, the whole culture of, you know, the, any derbies and, 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 and any big matches, even Newcastle, Liverpool. I mean, those were iconic matches and there was a bit of bite to them. At the moment, I miss that kind of um, rivalry because all the managers tend to pretty much get on. 
there's a lot of goodwill and it's all about the, the you know the, the technique and the playing so i miss wenger for that because he did used to rub people up the wrong way which is which i yeah. think we need it's entertainment in the end you know what i mean I'd love to see Arsene at Newcastle at some point. I, I, he often gets forgotten, but um, yeah, he's, yeah. A man who, he's a man who knows what it takes to win trophies and that, that'll do for me. James Brown says, if you could choose one player from the Newcastle squad, which player would you choose for Arsenal? He says, you can have Joe Linton if you want. <laughs> Let me think. <laughs> Even you're <laughs> laughing at Joe Linton. <laughs> I think San Maximum or Maximan. Yeah, yeah I, knew I, I think... That. Uh, only because he is capable of anything, you know, and yeah. I think, um, you know, I think given the right guidance, which at the moment he seems, you know, he seems to be getting from Steve Bruce, um, he's exciting. And he's, yeah. you know, and we've kind of, we've got Saka on our left-hand side, uh, but equally, but I just think that he's capable and I think he would fit very much into the Arsenal system, you know, that he can express himself. But I think you've got a good squad at the moment. I think it's one of those squads that has crept up on people. And I think you, it's going to do very well this season. Well in the fact of possibly top six, definitely top eight, without any yeah. shadow of a doubt. And I think for all the turmoil that you guys have been through over the last few years, I think actually that there's it's, it's, it's the best sort of uh, foundation for going forward that there's been for some time, you know. And how it's come about is a kind of very roundabout, higgledy-piggledy way. I don't know quite how it's happened, but it has, you know, because you've got some quality players there now, you know. Yeah. And certainly with um, with the lads from Bournemouth as well, they can only add to that, definitely. It's always interesting to hear another fan's perspective on our club because sometimes we're very we're on the inside looking out and yeah. sometimes can't see. But interesting to hear your views. Malcolm says, morning chaps, great advice. He's talking about the stuff on debt, which is highly recommended in any period. Nice to see you, Gary, he says. Lee Thank Taylor's you. asking, uh, morning, as an actor, which TV programme or film would you have liked to play a role in? Oh, would I like to have played a role in? That's interesting. Well, I'm a, I kind of... Um, Ah, that's a very good one. Something in Sexy Beast would have been great. Love that. Longer Friday. I'd have been, I would happily have been just one of Errol Chan's guys hanging upside down on the freezer hook as an <laughs> iconic movie. I'd have, I'd have happily have done that. That wouldn't have been a problem for me at all. Something like that. Um, in America, God, any of the Once Upon a Time in America I love, which is one of my favourites with De Niro. Um, yeah. Um, you know, hopefully there's there's parts out there that I, you know, as is, it's funny, I once heard Olivier say that he played Macbeth when he was 30 and he knew that he wouldn't play it correctly to give it any credence until he was about 60. And I played Macbeth at about 28, 29. And it's one of those roles you'd like to return to. And yeah. I think and I get that because I feel now I are my kind of golden years because I've just lived more of a life than that. 27-year-old who luckily, you know, got a bit of luck and was in mind at. Now you have something to offer. And I think that's why the acting profession is always interesting that you can, the older you get, you always have, you almost add more to your performance, you know, because you've lived mm. more, you've understood more. Yeah, of course. Mike Stewart's asking who your all-time favourite Arsenal player is. Malcolm Taylor's asking who your favourite player is. So, all-time Arsenal player and maybe your all-time player of all time doesn't have necessarily have to have played for Arsenal. No, no, no. Okay. Well, me and my son often, he often, because he, he kind of loves to hear about the retro stuff. So obviously, Bear Camp's got to be up there. 
Um, a righty, I love righty playing for Arsenal. Geordie Armstrong, I have to say, yeah. Geordie Armstrong, um, had great memories of going to, um, uh, when I connect with his daughter on Twitter, and I told her at the time that my dad took me to Geordie Armstrong's testimonial at Highbury, and there was about 54,000 there. And uh, they, Johan Cruyff was part of the Barcelona team he played. And I remember my dad putting me on his shoulders. So I, I was at the clock end. So I could actually, all I wanted to see was Cruyff. I just, even if I saw the top of his head, you know, I'd seen him, I'd seen him. I'd put him on his, on his shoulders and I saw him do some sort of run down the wing. And then, and then some big copper said, Oi, take him off your shoulders. But I was happy because I'd actually seen Johan Cruyff play live. You know, Fantastic. so Geordie Armstrong, yeah, lifelong servant. What a player. Great stuff. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on at the minute, really. Um, you know, supporters going back into grounds. It's been talked about. Obviously, we're yeah. now going through more severe lockdowns. I, I, I said last night, I, I think we'll be back into a national lockdown for half term. I think they'll, they won't yes. want people going to go around Halloween and, and uh, bonfire night. And I think they'll do that in an attempt to get us you know, more or less back in, back in step for Christmas so we can all enjoy Christmas. Um, but yeah, football fans back in the grounds. Middlesbrough have got a thousand going in today. A lot of the Man. EFL, a lot of the EFL clubs are trying this out. And I've heard a statement this morning on Sky Sports News where the guys from the EFL have said, we really need to push ahead. Otherwise we're going to lose a lot of these clubs. I mean, what do you, what's your thoughts as an Arsenal fan? Would you, would you, would you welcome going into a, a limited crowd of say, Five six thousand at, at, at Arsenal's ground, and you know, you know, being put into a draw for it, or would you rather just go back when everybody's allowed to go back? Uh, quite frankly, I'd go back. I'd go back when they felt it was okay to go back. So if they feel that um, a thousand here or five thousand there, yeah, I'd be up for that. You know, I think it's 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 very difficult if you are in that kind of in that demographic of being vulnerable or underlying conditions or, you know, uh, prone to, you know, uh, bronchial trouble, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, this is such a weird virus that for the majority, it will be fine. So I, I would, you know, I would kind of almost take my chances in the fact as long as, you know, they were, they were doing temperature tests and masks were being worn. I, I think, you know, I'd be quite more than happy, you know, in the open air, um, because, of course, I think what's also been highlighted, and again with theatre, especially anything live, is the importance of that audience. And a football crowd is no different to a theatre audience. You know, we can have it blasted on in the background, you know, when Sanso gets a goal, but there's nothing like that experience. I remember my eldest son, who wasn't into football at all, um, uh, but he loves to watch it or he loves to watch sport, but not, you know, he had a bit of a concern about the reputation of football and who goes and all that. We went to see Arsenal Man City about three years ago uh, and it was a night game and they did this sort of night light show before it and all of that. And all I was thinking, would he engage in it? Would he get the, the buzz that I get out of it? And I can't tell you, Steve, when that Arsenal first goal went in, he was off his feet. And when that second goal went in, he was off his feet. And when the City were attacking and there was two minutes to go, he was shout, come on, you know. And I just thought that for him. So I, I looked at him after I said, is, is that different to what you thought? He went, yeah, oh, God, I can see it now. And I just thought, yeah, and we've, we've missed that. Football's yeah. such a part of our life, you know. It's such a part of our life that I think that, you know, um, anything to 
get some sort of normality, just both for us physically getting out in the open air and mentally to give us that idea that we're getting back to normal would be a great will be a great help. So yeah, if they said to me, "Is it a ticket? For, you're one of five thousand going to the Emirates." I'd take it, you know. And to have my voice singing masked up would be a bonus anyway, because I'm I can sing football tunes, but I'm not good in West End music. <laughs> Malcolm asks, "Did you buy any mementos from the old Highbury ground when the club moved to the Emirates?" No, uh, I was going through a financial situation. Then. <laughs> I might have gone down and dug up a bit of turf and tried to resell it on eBay, but no, I didn't manage to get anything from there. I, I played at Highbury once, uh, which was a, a great thrill, a couple of times actually, because I was part of the old Arsenal veteran side that yeah. morphed from the, the East End of scene. So uh, that for me was enough, you know, just to have walked on the, on the Highbury turf, you know. Um, uh, and uh, I was I've been fortunate enough to play at a few grounds like Old Trafford and and, and Anfield. So, uh, but yeah, the uh, I got a few mementos from the mind. I got the mind to sign and stuff for the Winchester, the Winchester sign and a couple of bits and pieces, but nothing from Highbury. Fantastic. Barry asks, do you think they'll ever revamp Minder? I didn't enjoy the Sweeney revamp. Who would play yours and Arthur's roles? And would you fancy a crack at playing Arthur? Yes, well, they did bring it back about, I don't know, five, ten years, seven, eight years ago with Shane Ritchie playing what the Arthur's nephew, which was my part, Shane, yeah. and somebody playing his minor. And I think it was too close to my series because people will go, but isn't that, that Gary Webster? Didn't he play that role and all that? And I think Shane had always had in his mind to be a part of an Arthur Daly thing. But I think... There is an opportunity to bring it back. I, I, I think that my character probably would have morphed into being very much like Arthur. So it would be maybe the Ray Daly diaries, and and I would have inherited the camel hair coat and the trilby. And, I'll get you. Dennis Waterman. Dennis Waterman would have been good. You and Dennis Waterman would have been good together. That would have been. That would have been an interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting to have us working together. I've tried to. That would have been a, a yeah an enjoyable thing I think, but I don't. I think Ray Daly would have had Terry McCann though, quicker, yeah. leaner, leaner, <laughs> more air, more air. <laughs> Barry says I can imagine George Cole to be a right character. What was he like off screen? Completely different. Very quiet. Very focused. Uh, very kind of um, educated or not educated, uh, knowledgeable. Um, you know, he'll say that he left school at fourteen. An extraordinary life, but very much more kind of uh just focused on what he did quieter funny sharp wit seen it all done it i think with george when the time i worked with him you know he'd seen it all and done it all so he'd been out to, he told a story once when they were working on cleopatra that he'd gone for three three months filming in rome and he didn't and because I, I always said to him because he always used to drive 50 miles home in the at night and 50 miles in in the morning never stayed in a hotel never went for a drink and I respected that, but I was thinking, why? He said, because when I did Cleopatra, I was met, I was booked to do three months in Rome, and then I could get back to my wife and children. And he said that we used to fly back at weekends, so that was okay. He said, till Rex Harrison got caught in fog, and the producers found out we were sneaking back at the weekends, and they banned it. He said, 18 months later, they left Rome. They'd been stuck there for 18 months filming Cleopatra, and he said, from that day on, I always vowed to get home every night. I mean, I was going out on the slash every night. You know, I was, I was hammered. That's why I knew Steve Strange so well. But uh, George was, 
yeah, a, a gentleman. That's all. That's all I always described him was a gentleman in the true sense of the word. Yeah, I mean, fascinating character, and thanks, thanks everybody for your questions today. It's been, it's been yeah, great to, to have to have you interviewed. Um, just a quick prediction, and I suppose you know for Arsenal, how do you see Arsenal's season going? You've said that you fancy Newcastle for a top six, top eight. Um, where yeah. do you see Arsenal finishing uh, this season? They've already come off the back of an FA Cup win and a Charity yeah. Shield win, so Arteta's got them into that mindset of winning trophies. Aubameyang yes. signed. Uh, they're playing better football. It, it, it must be something. I've got to be honest. They're my dark horse for the league this year, Gary. Wow. Well, I, I would be happy if we if we're going into the final week of the season, needing a win to be top four. I'd be happy with that. If we get any higher, then then I will be pleasantly surprised, and I'll be on tender hooks because I think possibly possibly they might challenge. But I think if we can get back in that top four. And I think Newcastle, top six. I think 3-0 Brighton today and Arsenal will beat West Ham 4-1. Fantastic. Gary Webster, it's a pleasure to be your friend, but it's great to manage to interview you on here as well, mate. Love to you and the family. Stay safe and I'm looking forward to seeing you very soon. Thanks so much, Steve. It's an honour and love to you and the family as well. Take care, mate.